You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of SmallAgreHunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. All right. Welcome to this episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. I am down in the man cave, fresh off of a long day of work, um, and figured I'd put together a podcast for you guys. I know there's many different avenues that everybody finds Small Acre Hunting. Some of you guys follow just the website, Facebook, Instagram, whatever fashion or capacity it might be. You probably, if you haven't already, heard of the recent video that I posted that was the five mistakes of land managers. Um, That's what this episode's going to talk about, hence the title, hence everything, and it's probably what you were looking forward to listening to. However, I've got two things I really want to discuss with you guys really briefly quick here, and that is the first thing was a really neat occurrence um, that happened at the New 22 my personal property um, that I own and purchased back in 2016. It happened the other day when I was pulling into the property. And those of you who follow me on Instagram, you may already know where this is going because you are actually the only people outside of a few or a small community of those that I've texted to. And those of you who who are in the loop know who that I'm talking about you. So I was pulling into the property and we had gotten wind through some pictures that there was a buck that we have a lot of history with. Basically, ever since I own that property, we have history with this buck. And in 2017, I actually set aside past the biggest buck I've ever passed in my life because I wanted this buck. Um, many of you guys have seen that video, that buck that I passed. It was just a amazingly high, nice, uh, high brow tined, huge eight pointer. Probably would have Made Pope and Young easily, but uh, really awesome encounter. Got it on video, so that's pretty cool. But I was pulling into the property, and one of the access points that I utilize, I have to get out of the truck, take down a barrier, and then drive forward. Well, when I did this, I heard a little bit of commotion right inside the bush honeysuckle tree line that's right there. And I look up, and there's a young buck. You know, a little little yearling eight-pointer, it looks like, in velvet. You know, no more than ten steps from me. We're not even measuring in yards. And he filters real quick, kind of just walks away kind of quick. But, you know, you got to remember this place. They're pretty used to humans to a point. Um, but then I realized, too, why he wasn't getting up was there was a bigger buck bedded down behind him, probably 10 yards at most from me. And I noticed his rack on the one side was going straight out to the left. And his right side was growing funky as well, but upward, more normal growth, but not normal. And then he stood up. And I knew instantly who I was looking at and who I was having this incredibly up-close and personal encounter with. It was Bertier. Bertier's a buck that was actually hit by a vehicle back in the fall of 2020. 
16. We have pictures of him at some point in November, fine, walking around. And then a few nights go by, we get more pictures of him this time. His whole one side is busted off. He's bleeding from his pedestal. Half of his other beam is busted off. And his left, let me see if I remember right. It's his right rear leg is inoperable. It's wounded. It's hit. Um, And he's got road rash, and he clearly was hit by a car. So we didn't know if he was going to live that year. We've got a lot of coyotes and everything. He came back and was still present in 2017. Um, 2017, I had three bucks I was trying to uh, get a hold of. Still, the property wasn't in full swing. We didn't have everything quite as planned as we would like. And there wasn't just some ginormous deer out there. So I ended up shooting splits that year. But Bertier was on the list, and we named him Bertier because of Remember the Titans and Bertier, the character. Strong side, left side. Strong side, left side. Well, his left side was weak, Bertier, and his right side was incredible that year. Um, If you followed Smalliger Hunting, you've seen images of him. He's just an incredible specimen. And I will try to uh, post some pictures of him on the Facebook page if you want underneath the post that I will share this podcast in. Um, incredible white-tailed deer. If he'd had grown two normal sides that look like his right side, dear Lord, he would have been, he would have made Cicero uh, in some respects look tiny. And Cicero was a 175 grossing deer. So anyways, wasn't able to get a video of him, but I'm at the property. I do all my work. I even shoot some videos for Embrace the Journey. Um, And you actually saw me talking at the truck in the last Embrace of the Journey that I just posted. Finally got an episode up uh, for you guys out there. Be sure to check that out. Go to YouTube, Embrace the Journey. It's the first episode of 2019 season. But I'm leaving the property. And wouldn't you know, he's still there. And I actually get video of him. You're not going to get to see video of that um, except for the short blurb that's on Instagram. But you'll get a full encounter because I'm telling you right now, that's not the only time I ran into him. Um, I was actually checking cameras just less than a week ago, and I got really close to him again. This deer has now lived through 2016's winter, and coyotes 2017, and coyotes 2018, and coyotes 2019. We'll see. Um, He's not going to break any records. He's incredibly unique. He's mature. Uh, We estimated him to be no younger than two and a half in 2016. So if that kept going, he'd be three and a half in 17, four and a half in 18, five and a half this year. I'm leaning more so towards he's a six and a half year old deer, but five and a half minimum. Just an incredible deer. He's learned to survive. He's learned to to get by. Uh, 16 was his injury. 17, he could kind of use that leg as a peg leg. 18, he completely lost full use of that leg at some point. Um, he's unable to groom himself very well. We have videos of him just, you know, and, and if I ever kill him, I'll include and we'll tell the entire story of it. But, you know, when he's eating, he literally will fall oftentimes. His body will slowly start shifting to that dead side, and then he'll catch himself and regain his, his balance, and then he'll do it all over again. He'll spin in a circle sometimes. It's crazy. We have it all on video. It's incredible. Just a, a incredible buck, an incredible story, and an illustration of their, their will to survive, uh, 
Um, it drives them. It's everything about them. It, 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 it leads their footsteps, their actions, their survival instinct is incredible. And he's learned to make do with a leg that he can't even use anymore. And he keeps escaping the coyotes. One of the things that he's doing is he loves to bed near structures, near near where somewhat human activity happens, where it's less likely that a predator like a coyote is going to go scouring the area for. Um, you know, they're a little bit, they're a lot more skittish around humans and things of that nature. And he's learned that, and he's he's incredible because I've only in all the years I've I hunted him hard in 2016 before the injury and then after, really hard in 18. Um, 17, I, I didn't just focus on him, but in 18, I hunted him really hard. I passed up deer on that property, other properties with him in mind and everything. And I only caught one fleeting glance of him. He has learned to just survive. And it's like a switch goes off when he knows that you're trying to hunt him or your body language signals that you're not just watching him. I mean, the other day I got really close to him. You could tell he wasn't threatened. He didn't even want to move. He's like, I know you're not trying to kill me, so I'm just going to let you get really close. And I videoed him and everything, and it's incredible. And I'm going to share bits and pieces of that in the next Embrace the Journey. But that was an incredible encounter. We all have these stories of bucks that we have just, you know, I had RD at the Swamp property, and now I've had Bertier at this property, and, you know, I'm hoping this one has a closure with me involved. RD, unfortunately, died to a car, and I didn't even know for a year. You never know how these stories are going to end. You never know what direction they're going to go. But it's just so incredible and such a big blessing to even be part of them. And I think that's something that a lot of non-hunters, and even, to be honest with you guys, those of you listening, there are hunters out there that don't even understand uh, the gravitas and, and the meaning of all that and just kind of it may not hit them until years down the road when they realize, you know, that deer impacted me greatly. He made me think in ways I had never thought before. He made me ask questions I had never asked before. He made me respond in ways that I've never responded before to a deer. And it's just sometimes, like I've said, and the reason why I label the YouTube uh, season series, if you will, Embrace the Journey is the fact we, we, we sometimes don't slow down enough, pause and realize the journey that we're on is incredible. So Bertier is a great illustration of that, and it's just been amazing. So I wanted to take a minute and share that with you guys, uh, all of you that follow the podcast. And stay tuned, because on Embrace the Journey, the next episode, we're going to share bits and pieces of uh, the footage that was gathered. You're going to get to see some trail cam pictures of him from this year. He is growing quite the funky rack. He uh, is a homebody buck. We'll see if he's killable. Um, I'm putting together a plan, and we'll see. But let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. The five mistakes that I feel land managers make. I may get flack for some of these. I know there's people out there that disagree with me, but I'm going to flesh them out, and we'll leave it at that. It's my opinion. Um, I was actually having a really awesome conversation on Facebook uh, the other day with Eric, and I'm going to butcher your last name, Eric, and I apologize. I know you listen, so uh, forgive me. Zelinsky, I think, was the name. Um, it's incredible, and I and I even responded to him at one point. I said, you know, the, the awesome thing is the, the longer I've been in this game, the more people I've communicated with, the more habitat 
minded folks and people in the consulting world, those who are habitat minded people that are not in the consulting world, the more people I have got to meet, the more I've grown to realize there is more than one way to fillet this fish called habitat work, hunting, land managing habitat work. And I've grown to realize that if, 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 if internally the thing that drives the footsteps and the chainsaws and the drive and the sweat equity that is poured into a property, if it's driven by a person who is so motivated to truly make their property the best that they can, that's the key really. Because, you know, when they make mistakes, they correct them eventually. It may take a year or two, but they correct them. But not everybody's a fan of hinge cutting, but yet I've seen people have incredible success without it. And not every property is is made to hinge cut. There's some people that they think entirely one way for betting purposes. Other people think another way. Some people are very diverse. Some people just disagree on certain things. And yet they see success. And I've boiled it down. You know, honestly, some of the best habitat people I know are the ones that are dedicated. They they continue to ask questions. They continue to grow their knowledge. And they never try to assume they're 100% correct. Because the more questions they ask, the more deer they encounter in their lives, the more properties they tour, they really begin to realize that. So I understand that these five mistakes, some may argue with them, some may not. But I truly do believe, personally, myself, that if you avoid these five things, you will expedite your success as a land manager. So let's get started. Number one, and just for those of you who know, I do actually have a video that goes with this. You'll get to see um, some images of Bertier actually in there from his 2018, I think it is, Velvet Year. Um, so if you want to check him out, go there. There's some other videos incorporated inside of there and trail cam images and things of that nature. But number one, not thinking things through. So the first mistake I feel a lot of land managers make is not thinking things through. And I know on the surface, you're probably thinking like, that sounds cliche. It sounds really obvious, Ty. What do you mean by that? So, um, sorry, just a second. Had to dig it. Drink of something. Um, so what I mean by that is, me and pops have actually made this this mistake, and sometimes we don't think things through for multitude of reasons. But the most common reason I have noticed is just the sheer lack of knowledge on the part of the person making the decisions. Um, me and pops, when we were brand new in the habitat work, if you will, for deer, uh we knew we just had to get rid of the canopy. So we went in and just literally created a tornado zone on a section of the homestead property. Uh, was there benefits of it? Yes. Could they use it? Not to the extent that they should have been able to because we literally made it just a, such a congealed mess. Deer couldn't even get in there and bed. They worked around the edges. They lived around the edges and we created it basically a tornado dead zone that we then had to go in as we learned and create arteries, create bedrooms, and do things like that. So that's one way that people make this first fatal mistake is that it's they just don't know any better. But another common way that uh, we as land managers can suffer from this first mistake of not thinking things through is spur-the-moment decisions where we fall victim to not 
asking and analyzing a situation enough. When I bought the new 22, the property back in 2016, I fell victim to this. And number four, which we're going to get to, which kind of motivated this, was I wanted to start making a bunch of changes right away, really quick. And I didn't ask questions on every single blade of grass, every single tree, every single bush that I cut or removed or cleared or left. I didn't ask questions on every single one. And I brush hogged and cleared too much stuff thinking food 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 plots and that's the that's the name of the game and it's just not what I should have done so think things through ask questions okay I have this spot on my property should I create a food plot if I do what does that mean what does that do to the surrounding area around that spot what message does that deliver to the deer on the property? How do I want them to utilize it? And is that going to be beneficial to the deer? Is it going to be beneficial to my hunting? Is it going to be beneficial to the security of the deer? Which if you know, highlight, underline, circle, italic, that sentence. Because if what you're doing does not increase the security for the deer, I think that's a big, huge, massive negative. The only time I don't want deer to feel safe is if it's on an entrance or exit trail of mine. I may do things that are going to deter the security and safety of a deer. But you know me. I'm a huge proponent of making deer feel safe because without that, I can't expect them to move in the daylight unless they're just in a horny buck phase. And that's not what I want to rely on. I think good hunters and good land managers do not rely on a horny buck to be able to kill them. So let's move on to number two. Number two is the love infatuation that some people have for mature trees. The fear of firing up a chainsaw, the fear of calling a logger, the fear of getting rid of closed canopy, big, gorgeous, air quotes, trees. Too many people think that deer habitat looks like the park that you go and visit, that you camp at in your family, you can walk through the woods and you could literally drive a Ford Ranger through it. I've written blog posts, I've made videos, I've commented about this so much time and every single consult that I've went on, I would say probably half of them, if not more, at some point, there's that, 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 that infatuation with mature timber comes up. And I have to remind people, remember... The deer live, if you are a common-sized man, think between the soles of your feet and your armpit or shoulders. That's the sweet spot that deer live in. If something's not delivering anything in between those two things, you got to begin to question and ask, is it beneficial? Because that's the sweet spot. That's the area that the deer feed in, they live in, they bed in, they traverse in, you know... And a closed canopy forest is great to look at, I guess, for aesthetic purposes. But I don't have property or land for aesthetic purposes. I have property and land for deer. And that drives a lot of the decisions I make, which is a little bit of a foreshadowing to number five. But let's tie into number two. So the second mistake is love infatuation for mature trees. But let's take that one step further. And I know this is going to be the most controversial 
mistake, in my opinion, that people make. The worship. The idolizing. The all-encompassing awe that people have, especially deer hunters, for oak trees. I mean, it, when talking to some hunters, you would swear that instead of acorns, oak trees literally drop Pope and Young or bigger bucks onto the ground every single fall. And it, it's that simple. All you got to do is just have them and boom. You, you might as well just chalk up, put another Pope and Young up on your wall, put a booner up every three years because you know what? You've got those mature oak trees. Now, I know I'm exaggerating and I'm tongue-in-cheeking a lot of this, but I, w- I cannot stress enough, they are no, in, in many ways, not in all ways, because there is a, a real benefit to having oak trees on your property. There is, a, there is a window of time when they're dropping that they are extremely attractive to deer as a food source. Outside of that, though, they are no better than a non-mass-producing tree, period unless they're on their side, hinged over, then they're providing cover and food. (laughs) So if they're not loggable size and I've got plenty of them, I'm going to hinge them over. If they're not where I want them to be and they're not of loggable size, I'm going to hinge those suckers over or remove them. If they're of loggable size and I have plenty of them and they're not in a spot that I want, I'm going to log them. I'm going to get rid of them because ultimately that tree is not as beneficial to my deer as not being there. I toured a property for an awesome young man and his father. And um, I'm not going to say their name, but if you're listening, brother, I, you guys were awesome. Your property's incredible. I cannot wait to hear the benefits that hopefully you guys will experience moving forward. But that love infatuation of mature timber and especially oak trees played a, a real big role in, in, in my uh, consult with them. And, you know, it's just you got to kind of restructure your mind. And there is let me stress this right now for number two and number three mistakes. You have to not everybody's comfortable with thinking the way that I do. Not everybody's comfortable thinking that mature timber is not the holy grail. If that is what you prefer and what you like about your property, it's your property. You're the one paying the taxes. You're the one taking care of it. It's your property. Do what you want. If you want to rely on another person's opinion, that's great. If you want to rely on mine, you better be willing to accept the fact that I'm going to tell you to cut some trees. If you want more deer activity, maybe you don't. Maybe that's not what drives your ownership of the property. That's fine. They're, you know, turkeys love to roost in mature timber. So if I was a big turkey hunter, I'd probably try to leave a couple little sections. I wouldn't do my whole property. I wouldn't even do the majority of my property. I wouldn't even do half my property. I probably wouldn't even do a quarter of my property left in mature timber. But I'm going to leave acre here, two acres there. So I've got roosting trees for turkeys. But you know what? I love to kill deer and I want deer on my property which means I don't want mature timber. So enough on that. Let's move on to number four. So number four is one that quite possibly in this day and age, as a result of social media, pro staffers, field staff, all the 
the media that's out there perhaps in some instances is worse than number two and number three for some folks. And that is the falling only for food plots mentality. The sexiness of food plots, if you will. And I alluded to the fact that, number one, not thinking things through, I exhibited that a little bit in my own self just back in 2016. I brush hog too much, and now I'm actually working on taking places that I originally thought I would want as food, and I'm switching them back into covered transitional or bedding areas. And that's because... I fell victim to the sexiness of food plots. I wanted more food sources when in reality the amount of food that I can provide the deer and security and cover with a herbaceous explosion of secondary or uh, early successional growth is incredible. You know, I, I can still provide them food, but I can also have an offering of bedding area or an extension of a bedding area. Um, my property really suffers from a lot of development around it. And if it gets any worse, if more gets developed, it's just going to begin to choke out the activity more and more. And I'd rather be proactive than reactive in offering betting on my property. Uh, it's a great spot. There's, there's, there's good betting on it, but it could always be better. And here I was removing some of it back in 2016 and about in 2017, 20, it didn't take me long. It took me like one year to realize I don't, I don't want to plant there. That was dumb of me. I didn't think things through, and I fell victim to the food plot mentality. The more you research a, a deer's diet, the more you look at what studies have shown deer eat, you begin to realize that even in highly dense agricultural property or uh, areas, regions, a deer's diet is still, man, very rarely does it exceed 50% of non-rotil crop type food sources, whether that be nuts and in the form of acorns or, you know, even beech nuts or chestnuts and things of that nature. Um, but there's fungi, there's woody brows, there's forbs, there's natural weeds, air quotes, because oftentimes a lot of the weeds that people think they have to eradicate are deer food. And honestly, some of those offerings are suited to handle the drought of summer, the heat of summer, much better than anything we can throw in the ground. And yet they still offer extremely high levels of crude protein. They offer extremely digestible levels when you actually do tissue samples and begin to study these plants. Ragweed, goldenrod, pokeweed, all those things, and many, many more are incredible food sources for deer. And if you think of, you know, okay, I've got this 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 half acre spot of, pro of my property that's right up against a bedding area. Man, I, I, I just, I really think it'd be awesome to have food here. Well, I'm going to get rid of all this native vegetation and I'm going to put clover in here. Which I'm a big fan of clover tucked into food plots. I've shot, my biggest buck to date, I shot off of a clover plot tucked in around food plot or around bedding areas. So don't get me wrong. But what's wrong with the native vegetation food sources? They typically grow much higher than clover. They're at a deer's knees, chest, or face level by the time fall rolls around. And you've got a transitional area outside of a bedding area offering some food source, offering cover, security. 
sounds a little better than a clover plot, doesn't it, to a certain extent? Now, your shot opportunities might be tougher in there, so maybe maybe I'm going to put a... Uh, maybe I'm going to encircle this spot with maybe six feet wide, seven feet wide clover plot. I'll plant. It'll be more like a path. So hopefully those deer, as they filter through this transitional area, they feel safe and popping out into my little food plot isn't going to be a big deal. They got covered. They're really close. But I'm not going to get rid of good habitat just to put a food plot in. That's not how we think. And, you know, I've even had to rewire my own brain, and I've made this mistake myself. But food plots are not the only way to deliver good food. Hinge cutting is a way to deliver food encouraging uh, native forbs and broadleafs to grow because not a lot of grasses out there to do, your, do deer eat. So, you know, uh, Craig Harper does an amazing... He, If you don't know who Craig Harper is, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, look him up. He has a great episode with Wired Hunt. He's got a great episode with the guys over at uh, Habitat Podcast. I hope to have him on here when I start streaming in. Um, guests on this on this podcast, but he does an amazing job, and he outlines. I think it's on the Wired to Hunt with Mark Kenyon, uh, f- uh, which is a fellow Midwesterner from from Michigan. If you don't know who he is, look him up, follow him. He's an incredible guy to follow, good guy. But Craig Harper illustrates that on a farm, you know, he'll go to farms or he'll hear about farms, and a lot of those farms have that area between ag fields and woodlots. Uh, they might be equipment trails. They might be just that that edge between uh, a wood lot and the field that just kind of grow. Crabgrass, Johnson grass, canary grass, things of that nature pop up in those areas. And if people either used selective herbicide and timing to control the, the grasses in there or weed burning timing to control the grasses in there and encourage broadleafs, the amount of food tonnage that you could then offer deer in these dead zones, if you will, would double, triple, quadruple. And the amount of food, and you start adding that up, say you have a 100-acre farm parcel, you treat those areas around the woodlots and you encourage herbaceous vegetation, good desirable food sources in those areas, you might add an acre, two, three, seven acres worth of land by the time you're done where you have more than doubled the amount of food that's present on that property. And it's in the form of weeds, things that many people think are negatives to a property, when in actuality they're not. So that's the fourth mistake I feel a lot of people make. I think I don't know if you can necessarily discuss or harp on that one enough. Falling only for food plots is the only source of food. Then let's tie this into the fifth and final mistake that I feel a lot of people make is getting too one game species oriented. oriented. Um, not thinking about, and a way you could rephrase this is not thinking in the grand conservation scheme. Um, one of the things that I really hope to do, and it does benefit the deer ultimately, is to encourage pollination use on my property. Pollination strips are something that are severely lacking on a lot of properties. And if you've got pear trees, if you've got apple trees, if those are ways that you're trying to deliver food to your deer, encouraging pollinator use on your property is only going to benefit those. It's going to do incredible things for it. Not to mention 
it's another way to give back to nature, to witness more nature, to witness more of God's creation. Utilize your property, which is an incredible thing. You know, I love watching everything from groundhogs to squirrels to rabbits to deer to turkeys to birds use my property and use things that I've done. It, it brings a smile to my face to sit there and watch uh, a rabbit eat my clover. And then when a hawk flies by, it runs into the nearby cover that I've created through some hinge cuts and such. Like, it's just cool. It's, it's, it's awesome witnessing those things. And uh, oftentimes, too many people get so driven by only thinking deer-wise when really if you back up, you know, like pollinator strips are a great way. And some states even have programs for you to plant areas into pollination or wildflowers and such, which will encourage bee use, which will encourage butterfly use, which are going to pollinate your fruit trees. There's programs and things of that nature. So ultimately, thinking broader than just deer has an effect on the deer, if you will. So I just think sometimes we get too one species oriented and we don't forget to think about things that we can do for other animals that also will maybe in a small way maybe not in as big of a way will impact the deer as well but i think those are five things that if every land manager could learn to avoid those they will set themselves up for success and they will learn to deliver an amazing property much quicker than i ever did Personally, even, you know, I still feel like I'm, I've used an illustration and I shared it on uh, Facebook once before, and maybe this is how I'll close out the podcast. So picture yourself as a baseball player on a team and your coach holds up a baseball. This was used as a metaphor once in my past life when uh, baseball was a huge part of my life. Had a coach once that took a baseball and... He put a little Sharpie dot on the baseball. And then he took that same Sharpie and he he drew a circle. Think about a dime-sized circle around that dot on this baseball. And he said, guys, that dot represents how much baseball knowledge you have. The entire baseball represents the entire knowledge that ever could be obtained about baseball. And you're just that dot. And I'm that circle. I don't know everything, even though I'm your coach. I don't know everything, even though I get paid to coach you. My job is to try to take you from the dot to the circle while trying to grow my circle myself. I'm going to try to turn your dot into a circle. And, you know, honestly, I don't know if, if, if a baseball represented everything there is to know about deer. I'm hoping I'm a circle, but I might be more of a big dot. Because I'm going to keep asking why. I'm going to keep asking questions. I'm going to keep growing my knowledge. And if you ever hear somebody state definitively that they have all the answers or that their product is all you ever need or definitively one consultant is attacking and belittling another one because they believe in X or Y and they shouldn't do that because I've got it all figured out. Now, there are guys out there that are very confident in what they know, and I'm confident in what I know. 
But let's never stop asking questions. Let's never stop learning because I guarantee you there's always more that we can learn. There's always more questions we can ask. There's always more things that we can observe. And there's always more things that we can learn from. And I think that's a great spot to end this podcast. Hopefully it's been enjoyable for you. You know what? If you like it, what you're hearing on the podcast, if you like what you see on the YouTube channel or Facebook, you know what? Do me a favor. I'm not sponsored. I don't get any money. I'm connected to two companies very loosely because I believe in what they do. But I don't get paid by anybody. The least you could do is maybe share, review, like, comment, whatever you can do. It would be greatly appreciated. But if not, that's fine too. As always, everybody, thanks for listening. God bless and good luck out there. As I already said before, thank you for listening to this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast. Hopefully, wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.